We are in Ezekiel. We finished chapters 1 and 2 last time. And chapter 2 finished up with Ezekiel being given a scroll. And I'll start back in 2.8 just to get a run at it. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and the back. There were written on it words of lamentations and mourning and woe. So this book is not good news. So now continuing on to 3. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. We know that this thing is not good news because it's full of lamentation, mourning, and woe. Yet it is the word of God, and in his mouth it is sweet as honey. And somebody brought up last time that in Revelation, the little book that is given to John to eat is also sweet, but in his case it gives him a stomach ache at the end of the day. What we're going to find is Ezekiel isn't going to be too happy either, but it's going to take a while. The obvious symbolism here is to take the word of God and internalize it which is to say that when you start speaking, you will be able to speak the words of God without further instruction. Verse 4, And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed by their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart, and hear with your ears, and go to the exiles, to your people, and speak them, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Back up and unpack that. One of the things that God makes a really big point of here is that he is not being sent as a prophet to a foreign nation. And what he says is, if I did send you as a prophet to a foreign nation, a foreign nation would listen to you. And we've got examples of that in Scripture, where God sends, for example, Jonah to Nineveh. We've all read the book of Jonah, and we realize that Jonah doesn't want to go because, A, he knows he'll be effective, B, he knows that they'll repent, and C, he doesn't want them to do it. In other words, he wants them to be destroyed, but God sends him anyway. So what God is saying is, if this word were given to somebody who had never heard the word before, they would believe it, and they would repent. The problem with Israel is that they have heard this word before. C.S. Lewis has got a wonderful, wonderful saying. And his saying is, so many people have been inoculated with a weakened version of Christianity that they are immune to the real thing. 
And for those of you who know anything about vaccines, what they do is they take a virus and they either wing it severely or kill it. And then they put it into your body and your immune system attacks this weakened virus and so builds up an immunity to it. So when the real full strength stuff comes upon you, you're immune. The Word of God is the same way. If you get the Word of God either in a diluted fashion or you hear it over and over and over again so that you don't think about it anymore. It's like when you read the Torah, I've been through the Torah, I have no idea how many times, and I, and I catch myself, my eyes are cruising. I'm, I'm just going right through it, and all of a sudden, I, wait a minute, what did I just read? And I have to back up and force myself to read it again with understanding. And so what God is saying to the prophet here is this people has heard the Torah. The words that you are going to say to them are not going to be anything new. But they aren't paying attention anymore. And you're not going to be able to wake them up. They're in fact going to go into exile. And that's one of the problems with much of the body of Messiah and the kingdom of God today. So many people have gotten bits and pieces of the gospel and typically bits and pieces that have been interpreted incorrectly. And so they think they know it. They think they understand it. And if they're not actually doing it, which is to say it's become old hat to them, it's very, very difficult to wake them up. And what we're going to find reading the prophet Ezekiel is the only thing that finally does wake them up is being thrown into exile. Physical calamity and judgment on the whole nation is the only thing that shakes them enough to get their attention. And we'll see in a minute that he's going to wind up killing two-thirds of them in that process. And I would go further to say that if you live in something that calls itself a Christian nation, like we do, I would be very apprehensive. Because my impression is that much of the body of Messiah in this country fits this description. But the nice thing about it, or the bad thing, depending on your point of view, is God does send them a prophet. He sends them one last prophet and says, guys, shape up, knowing that they're not going to listen to it. I suspect that he will do that again. In fact, we know that he does in Revelation. The last thing that happens is you have a strong angel that stands up and proclaims the gospel to the whole world before the end comes. And one of the things that you'll hear on Christian radio is you need to help us spread the gospel because it says the gospel is going to go to the whole world. And God bless them. I'm not talking against them. I approve of their spreading the gospel. I think that's a good thing. However, having said that, they are not the ones that are going to spread the gospel to the whole world. God's going to do that personally because he wants to make sure that it gets done right. And it gets said clearly and it does not get filtered through somebody's denomination. And the other part of this thing is if you go down to verse 9 in chapter 3, like emery, harder than flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. What do people who think they know the word of God do when some crazy-eyed, bearded prophet comes in and starts spouting something that doesn't match their denomination? They look at him and say, that's not from God. You're some kind of a crazy. You're some kind of a jerk. 
and they'll typically run them out. The people who call themselves by my name, when you come back and you say this, they're going to look at you and say, jerk, and they're not going to believe you because what you're saying doesn't match up with their denominational understanding. Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, there are dozens of sects of Judaism just like there are of Christianity. So what God is telling Ezekiel, and he'll tell him more forcefully in just a minute, is you got to say what I tell you to say and don't worry about what they think because they're not going to be happy. Verse 12, Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another and the sound of the wheels beside them and the sound of a great earthquake. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles of Tel Aviv who were dwelling by Hibar Canal and I sat where they were dwelling and I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. One of the things that somebody said last time that in the Revelation when John eats the little book it is immediately bitter in his stomach. I'm going to suggest to you that Ezekiel is having the same reaction here. The things written on that scroll are not pleasant to consume even though they may taste good as you eat them. This whole experience has obviously had a great emotional impact on Ezekiel because he sits there sort of stunned for seven days. Verse 16. And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way. In order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you have delivered your soul. This one gets quoted a lot by preachers and people on Christian radio. There's a whole radio program called The Watchman on the Wall. And again, I am not disapproving of people who want to speak the word of God and warn people. However, it doesn't apply. Here God is speaking directly to an apostle or a prophet, one who is sent by God. Ezekiel has a direct personal mission given to him by God. And notice what he says. He doesn't say, look at these people and see what they're doing and tell them when they're out of line with respect to Torah. That's not what he's saying. He says, son of man, if I say to a wicked, you shall surely die, who, who's I? God. So what he's saying is, if I tell you to speak to someone and you don't do it, you got big problems. If I tell you to speak to somebody and you do do it, and he doesn't change his ways, he's got big problems. This is all in the context, directly, if you will, of 
an apostle, one who is sent by God, who has given specific instructions on what to say, and what God is saying is if I give you instructions on what to say and whom to say it to, you do it. Because if you don't, in addition to whatever happens to the person who is in error, I'm going to come talk to you. Now, having said that, I am not speaking again against people who want to preach the Word of God and point out to society where they don't match up with the Word of God. Okay, I'm not speaking against that. I am simply saying that that is not the mission that is given to Ezekiel here. And you'll have people that will stand up and say, i got to say this because if I don't, it's on me. Unless that person has had a direct call from God, and apostles, by the way, have a personal one-on-one job interview with either God or Yeshua. Every one of them that I know of has had a personal one-on-one job interview. Those are the people that we are talking to in this passage. This is not a general passage for pastors. What God is saying to Ezekiel is, I am giving you instruction for people. You need to deliver those instructions faithfully so that when that person dies in his iniquity, he cannot say, well, nobody ever told me. Now, he is going to die for his iniquity, whether you tell him or not. But if he has not been given proper notice, as I have directed you to do that, I'm going to come and charge you with murder. That's one of the reasons I'm saying this is not a general pastoral phrase. This is specific to a prophet who is called by God and given specific messages to deliver. Again, go back to Jonah. Jonah was called by God, given a specific message to deliver, and Jonah headed the other way. And God reached out, reeled him in, put him on a camel, and pointed him to Nineveh and said, go do what I told you, boy. And so what is happening here is God is giving Ezekiel the same kind of instructions. He just doesn't have to fish him out of the Mediterranean. 22. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there. And he said to me, arise, go out into the valley, and there I will speak to you. So I arose and went out into the valley. And behold, the glory of the Lord stood like the glory I had seen by the Hibar Canal. And I fell on my face. But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And he spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself within your house. And you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them, so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who will hear, let him hear. And he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. You get the very strong, this is legal notice. This is like when the sheriff walks up to your door and nails a lien on it, for example. You may know that you have the debt. You may know that you have to pay it. All that kind of stuff. But there's something about the sheriff walking up and nailing it onto your door. Now this is going to come to a head. And that's what this is. God is nailing the notice, if you will, on the door of the house of Israel. Four, and you, son of man, take a brick and lay it before you and engrave on it a city, even Jerusalem, and put siege works against it and build a siege wall against it and cast up a mound against it, set camps also against it and plant battering rams against it all around 
and you take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and the city and set your face toward it and let it be in a state of siege and press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. Then lie on your left side and place the punishment of the house of Israel upon it. For the number of days you lie on it, you shall bear their punishment. For I assign you a number of days, 390 days, equal to the number of years of their punishment. So long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. And when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on the right side, and bear the punishment for the house of Judah. Forty days I assign you a day for each year. And you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem, with your arm bared, and you shall prophesy against the city, and behold, I will place cords upon you. So now we have the cords back again. So what I'm saying to you is this is not, you get wrapped up with cords, then you go set this up, then you get wrapped again. This is all one event. And behold, I will place cords upon you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other till you have completed the days of your siege. And you take wheat and barley and beans and lentils, millet and emer, and put them into a single vessel and make your bread from them. During the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days, you shall eat it. And your food you shall eat that shall be by weight. 20 shekels a day from day to day, you shall eat it. And water you shall drink by measure, the sixth part of a hen. From day to day you shall drink. And you shall eat it as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. And the Lord said, Thus shall the people of Israel eat their bread, unclean among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I have never defiled myself. From my youth up until now I have never eaten what died of itself or what was torn by beast, nor has tainted meat come into my mouth. Then he said to me, See, I assign to you cow's dung instead of human dung, so that you may prepare your bread. In other words, God says, I will not make you personally defile yourself but you need to write all these instructions so that Israel knows this is what we're talking about. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, behold, I will break the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety. They shall drink water by measure and in dismay. I will do this that they may lack bread and water and look at one another in dismay and rot away because of their punishment. Okay, let's go back and unpack this now. Obviously, eating bread and drinking water by weight is famine. And we'll see later on when we get into chapter 5 and 6 that in fact it talks directly about famine. But what Ezekiel is doing here is he is acting out a prophecy. So he's got this brick that he's written Jerusalem on. He's got a frying pan up here. He's laying beside the frying pan on one side and then he lays on beside the frying on the other side. I don't know whether he got up if he didn't Clearly God sustained him laying there for that length of time because normal humans cannot lay in one position like that for that length of time without dying. So he may have been sustained in that position or this may have been something you know, where he made up his bread and drank his water and then laid back down and got up to, to do stuff from time to time. I don't know how that worked. I mean, I, I can certainly see it both ways. But given the fact that he was told to eat every day, which implies all of the biological functions out the other end, I suspect that he would wrap himself in cord, lie down, and then get up and make his bread and then lie back down kind of thing. But I don't know that. So what he's doing, obviously, is he is acting out the siege and destruction of Jerusalem. 
the prophecy is for 390 days plus 40 days. There is a teaching on this that was originally, I believe, done by Grant Jeffries. And he has an error in his teaching, so it's not correct. But somebody else has redone it without the error. I will tell you what the teaching is, and then I will tell you that I don't know that it's wrong, but there are some things in here that make me say, huh, is that what it really means? Anyway, what we have is 40 days plus 390 days. So that's a total of 430 years. The question is, we don't know 430 years from what. The teaching is that it's 430 years from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, which was given by Cyrus in 537 BC. That's the assertion, is that this time starts from there, and it goes to May 14, 1948, when Israel was constituted a nation. Let me go through the arithmetic for you, and, and I'll show you how it gets done. It depends on Leviticus 26. So if you go back to Leviticus 26, and there are some problems with this too, and I'll show you what all the problems are when I get done with running through the numbers for you. So I'm going to go ahead and run through it as if it's correct, and it may be correct. And then I'll go back and show you the problems that I have. So if you go to Leviticus 26, starting in verse 27. And after this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, and by the way, this walk contrary to, we've done teaching with that in Midrash several times, that word is treat me casually. It's not so much overt rebellion, it is simply treating God casually. And remember we talked earlier back when we started today that part of the problem with Israel is they've heard this word so much and what Ezekiel is going to say is something they sort of heard all their lives and he's not going to say it just exactly the way their denomination packages it so they're going to laugh at him. So what they are doing in God's perspective is they are treating him casually. They believe in God, sort of like, I don't have any problem, Jesus Christ is Lord. Hey, I believe that. And what God is saying is that these people, while they may believe that, are treating me casually. And after this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, or treat me casually, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And this has the connotation of chance or randomness, which is to say that they attribute rainfall to Mother Nature, chance, instead of to being a gift from God. And so what he's saying is, if you're going to do that, you want to treat me randomly, I'll give you randomness, and I'll do it with a vengeance. Then I also will walk contrary to you in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Okay, there's your first clue, this seven times. So the decree in Ezekiel is for 430 years. It isn't 430. It's 430 less 70. Why 70? Because 70 years is the amount of time that they will remain in Babylon before they get to return. So the first 70 years runs as 70. And then, starting after that, they still don't get it. So what God does is multiplies the remainder by 7. So it's 430 less 70, which is, what, 360 times 7. So that's the number of years that Israel is going to be 
under chastisement, if you will. Now, if you take that 360 times seven, and you go to one of these calendar programs, I've done all this, the math works, and I can point you to a calendar program and all that kind of stuff. But if you do that and you plug in at the end date, May 14th, 1948, and you back off 2,520 years, you wind up at 537 BC, which is when Cyrus gave the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. That's true. Everything I have just said to you is true and correct. I have run the numbers myself, and I can give you the resources, and you can run them yourself. Nothing magic here, just arithmetic. So what the assertion is, is this prophecy in Ezekiel is a prophecy about the reformation, if you will, the reconstitution of the nation Israel. And the numbers work. Having said that, I'm not quite sure I buy it. Not quite sure I don't. First off, the prophecy is about the house of Israel, and there's a separate time for Judah. I don't know what to do with that. I just don't know what to do with that. The second thing about it is in this Leviticus passage, there are three multiplications by seven. The first two of them, Israel is still in the land. So what this is is chastisement while still in the land, and you could look at it then as oh, okay, this multiplication by seven finishes off with exile and the destruction of Jerusalem and all that kind of stuff. So you can see how it works. But having said that, clearly the prophecy means something or God would not have written it down. And clearly, if you go through these gyrations that I just went through, it does take you from the decree of Cyrus to the birth of Israel. Clearly it does that. And I don't have a better explanation for it, but it's a very common thing that you will hear if you float around Sunday Christian prophecy buffs very much. You'll hear it said, yeah, the rebirth of Israel was predicted by Ezekiel in 600 and some odd BC. And they may be right. But having said that, it isn't something that I would hang anything very important on because there's enough stuff in here that I don't understand that I'm not willing to say yeah man that's it it's interesting and it may be right but it's not something that I would stand up in front of a stadium full of people and say yeah this proves anything the other thing that I find is interesting in verse 9 take wheat barley beans lentils millet and emer which is a kind of wheat one of the things that goes around the diet circles every now and then is Ezekiel bread. And this is supposed to be the biblical dietary standard. Folks, this is a famine. I'm not sure that this is God's biblical standard of what you should eat. This is something that will keep his prophet running for, what, 430 days. So I'm sure it's nutritionally complete and all that kind of stuff. And I suppose if you're on a diet and trying to lose weight, Eating famine chow would probably do that to you. So, chapter 5. And you, O son of man, take a sharp sword. Use it as a barber's razor. I bet that's entertaining. And, and pass it over your head and your beard. Then take balances for weighing and divide the hair. A third part you shall burn in the fire, in the midst of the city. When the days of the siege are completed, 
And a third part you shall take and strike with a sword all around the city. And a third part you shall scatter to the wind, and I will unsheath the sword after them. And you shall take from these a small number and bind them in the skirts of your robe. And of these again you shall take some and cast them into the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire. From there a fire will come out into all the house of Israel. There are two sieges that destroy Jerusalem. Both of them are yet future from Ezekiel's perspective. He is prophesying to the people who are left in Jerusalem, and we'll see that later. And we know that Nebuchadnezzar sands Jerusalem off flat, as does Titus in 70 AD. And in that siege, a third of the inhabitants of Jerusalem will die in the city. A third will be slain in the destruction. So you have a siege. It takes some number of days. And and the siege stuff will be described later. It's very grim. And in that event, you're going to lose a third from pestilence, starvation, all that kind of thing. Then once the enemy army breaches the walls, you're going to lose another third. Then a third are going to be scattered. And God says, not only are they going to be scattered, but I'm going to send the sword after them into the places where they are scattered. Then he says, of that remnant, that one-third, take a small portion of it and bind it into the hem of your robe. Of these again, you shall take some and cast them into the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire. From there a fire will come out into all the house of Israel. What I take that to mean, this is Johnnyology, everybody. I think that is the remnant that is going to be sent forth by Messiah. Because from them, it says, some of them will be cast into the midst of the fire, and from there a fire will come out into all the house of Israel. What I am suggesting to you is that is the gospel. That's Johnnyology. That is not necessarily true. That is my interpretation. Do with it whatever you wish. And if you decide not to buy that, which is a reasonable assumption, you can look upon the thought that, well, fire killed him before, why is now fire going to be the gospel a couple of sentences later? That would be a perfectly legitimate argument of why I'm full of cornflakes. Having said all that, I think that's what it means. Verse 5. Thus saith the Lord. This is Jerusalem. So everything I have talked about up until now, it pertains to Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her. And she has rebelled against my rules by doing wickedness, more than the nations and against my statutes, more than the countries all around her. So not only has Israel not obeyed, they have fallen to a state where they are worse than the pagans around them. For they have rejected my rules and have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you are more turbulent than the nations that are all around you, and have not walked in my statutes, nor obeyed my rules, and have not even acted according to the rules of the nations that are all around you. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I, even I, am against you. So not only have you violated my standards, you don't even meet the standards of civilized behavior according to the rest of the world. That's pretty severe. And I will execute judgments in your midst, in the sight of the nations. In other words, This is not going to be a private party. 
what we're going to do is we're going to drag you out into the public square where everybody gets to watch and then I'm going to deal with you. And God says similar things other places in Scripture. Because again, one of the things that God says to Israel is, I will be glorified by you. Better for all concerned if I am glorified by you because you are a shining example of my love and my blessing and my mercy. But if you don't want to do it that way, you are still going to glorify me and you're going to do it in shame and degradation when I deal with you for breaking my covenant. Verse 9, And because of all your abominations, I will do with you what I have never yet done, and the like of which I will never do again. Therefore fathers shall eat their sons in your midst, and sons shall eat their fathers, and I will execute judgments on you. And any of you who survive I will scatter to all the winds. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable things and with all your abominations, therefore I will withdraw. My eye will not spare, and I will have no pity. A third part of you shall die of pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst. A third part shall fall by the sword all around you. And a third part I will scatter to all the winds, and I will unsheath the sword after them. That was what the thing with shaving the head was all about. Nice thing about Ezekiel is you don't have to guess. God tells you exactly what he means. 13. Thus shall my anger spend itself, and I will vent my fury upon them and satisfy myself, and they shall know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken in my jealousy when I spend my fury upon them. Moreover, I will make you a desolation and an object of reproach among the nations all around you and in the sight of all who pass by. You shall be a reproach and a taunt, a warning and a horror to the nations all around you when I execute judgments on you in anger and fury and with furious rebukes, I am the Lord, I have spoken. When I send against you the deadly arrows of famine, arrows for destruction, which I will send to destroy you, and when I bring more and more famine upon you and break your supply of bread, I will send famine and wild beasts against you and they will rob you of your children. Pestilence and blood shall pass through you, and I will bring the sword upon you. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Strong letter to follow. Woo! What you will find, if you go back to the Leviticus passage that I led off with, is this follows, if not word for word, at least thought for thought, what is spoken of in Leviticus. When we talk about the seven times, this bob over to Leviticus 26 for a second. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. Well, Ezekiel sounded pretty furious. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. Remember he said in Ezekiel, father and son will eat each other's flesh, not, not the same father and son, but you, know, you understand what I'm saying. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation, and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. Remember he said the same thing in Ezekiel, that all the nations will look at you and be astonished. Thought for thought, it's the same thing. I'm in 33. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you 
and you shall be desolate and your cities waste. So those of you who survive all of this and get scattered, you ain't home free. You ain't home at all. Not only that, in exile I will send the sword after you. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. And the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbath when you dwelt in it. So this is regarded as the 70 year Babylonian exile beginning with the destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. That's the way this is typically spun. And certainly Ezekiel is speaking to Israel as it still exists in the land. So that is a perfectly good and sound explanation. Having said that, I will also suggest to you that if you buy what I said about the 360 years, then this also applies to the Roman exile. Because the same thing happens during the Roman exile. It was mostly Judah in the Roman exile. Same thing with Babylon. It was mostly Judah. Basically the same events transpired and for 2,000 years they have been scattered among the nations and the sword has followed them into exile. So let's close with that. Would somebody like closing prayer?